Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nutritionist, Michaela Shifley, the founder of KJ Wellness. On this podcast, we'll talk about all things nutrition and wellness. We'll cut through the bullshit information out there, debunk health myths, interview health experts, and give you actionable steps to help you become the best version of yourself. So go grab yourself a nice hot cup of coffee and strap in to hear the cold hard truths about health. Welcome back to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Today I have Amy Lilly with me. She is accredited dietitian. Amy is an expert in gut health and IBS. She helps others to improve their gut health and their IBS symptoms. And she has a very wholesome and a very balanced approach to nutrition, which I absolutely love. We're on the same page with that, which is incredible. So welcome, Amy. Did you want to start off with maybe just giving us a little bit of a background story about yourself? You know, if you've had a health journey of your own or, you know, what sparked you to becoming a dietitian in the first place? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the potty. I don't know if I've mentioned, but it is my first podcast. So I'm very, very excited to be on here today. Um, And yeah, so my story sort of starts back when I was about 15 or 16. Um, It was around the time of like Cowspiracy and all those Netflix documentaries that came out about like ethical eating and veganism and um, all that good stuff. So I actually got really interested in being a vegetarian to start off with. Um, and my mum wasn't as keen as I was, so <laughs> she wanted to make sure that I was like doing it all right and not missing out on any nutrients or anything. So she took me to see a dietitian. I had never seen one at the time, didn't know much about what they did, but I walked out of there with the resources that she gave me and all her information, and I thought that was just the coolest thing ever. So I pretty much knew from that point when I was like in year nine or ten um, that I wanted to be a dietitian. It was really streamlined process from there I didn't waver or try anything else I just went straight through after high school and yeah now I'm an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist so it's very cool that's so cool and I think that's so special as well because I know a lot of people go through school and they're umming and ahhing about things but and it's great that you know you yeah. have that physical experience with it as well and then you're like aha uh-huh, this this is amazing this is the path that I want to go down which is that's so cool and so cool that you then actually follow through the whole path of it and you still love being a like love the fact of a dietitian love being a dietitian which is incredible yeah absolutely it wasn't um it wasn't always easy there was times Mm. definitely in undergrad or like getting into the master's pathway doing biochem and really tricky subjects and I was like oh god do I really want to do this like I don't want to learn about the citric acid cycle and all that confusing (laughs) stuff so yeah I did um I had a few moments but for the most part it was yeah a pretty breezy ride which was good I do love what I do now so yeah it helps that I'm very passionate about it all yeah absolutely and I think it's also so incredible that you like your mum took you to see a dietitian as well when you were going through that transition as well um because that can be a little bit tricky sometimes for a lot of people especially if they don't really understand how to still eat adequately I guess when you are removing Mm. particular food groups that you have been eating for such a long time like your whole yeah. childhood pretty much so how did that transition kind of work for you and did you know like did you notice any differences physically mentally like how did that all work for you yeah it's a good question I actually um a lot of it was focused around getting enough iron um mm. obviously removing a lot of meat from your diet you do remove a large chunk of iron so that was the main thing and I actually was deficient in iron at the time um, so that was really helpful, but I guess my levels never normalized, which was really interesting. They never got back to like a high range and 
doctors were always like, okay, you're a woman, like you have a, a period, so that caused you to lose blood, that might explain it. You're a vegetarian, that might help to explain it. And I also had a surgery where I lost a fair amount of blood. So they were like, okay, all these things could contribute, but you haven't mm-hmm. really, um, there's no particular reason why your iron is so, like still so low. Um, and that actually sort of turned me into the gut health side of things and ended up having like a colonoscopy and all that fun stuff to look into why my iron was never improving. Um, and it turns out I do have a bit random, but I do have a rare stomach disease now. So that sort of got me oh, into the area of um, oh. gut health and got me interested in all that because I was experiencing issues myself that, yeah, no one could ever sort of identify or figure out what they what they were for me. Yeah, how interesting. And I guess... You know, that's so funny because if you never actually made that transition into going vegetarian, never actually then went to the dietitian, got your blood tested, found out that you had low iron, like even still eating meat, obviously that wasn't the core, like, you know, that wasn't mm. impacting your iron levels. So if you never yeah. went down that path, you probably, you know, might have been a lot later down the track that you even discovered that you did have this rare stomach Exactly. Condition. Yeah, Everything yeah. So I'm sort of quite grateful. Yeah, 100%. The timing worked out very well for me. Even though it took about seven years to get to that answer, it was still, it all started back then when I saw that dietitian. So it all helped. Wow, that is so incredible. That's so special. Yeah. So, I mean, talking about gut health, and obviously that's a path that you went down. I know gut health is a word that can be thrown around a little bit um, out there. You know, there's a lot of different things that can be wrapped up around it or people twist twist a little bit. But gut, mm. at the end of the day, like gut health is very, very important for everyone's health. So, Let's start off like, what even is gut health? Yeah, very broad question and very good Mm. point because there is so much information and misinformation out there. So it is really hard for the everyday person to turn to Instagram or Google and figure out what's, you know, thought facts and fiction and what they actually need to know and what's a bit of, um, excuse the language, but bullshit pretty much in many different space. So um, no, it's a really good question. And pretty much gut health just refers to um, the health or functioning of our gastrointestinal tract or digestive system. So anything from the mouth all the way to the other ends of the anus. Um, and it can be anything within that space. But I think most people, when they're referring to gut health, are talking about like their stomach and their bowels and the functioning of those sorts of things. So that's where um, a lot of my focus is on as well in clinic with IBS and um celiac disease, IBD, all those sort of fat health conditions. It's mostly that lower digestive tract area. Mm. And I guess for a lot of people, because again, like there is so much information out there on gut health, why is it important for somebody to, you know, what maybe symptoms would they experiencing if they don't have the best gut health? And why Mm. is it then important that they then go and get it looked at um, for their overall health? Yeah, good question. So I guess when it comes to gut health, um, usually if you don't have great functioning gut health, you'll probably be getting symptoms like um, bloating that's always around or it's quite painful or worsens after eating. Um, gas, so a lot of wind or flatulence, alternating bowel habits, so you can go from one extreme to the other with diarrhea and constipation um, and general just discomfort and pain and cramping and those sorts of things. So they're sort of the main symptoms that we look at um, in people who don't have a really great functioning gut. But our overall gut health is important for so many reasons. Firstly, to have, you know, a regular functioning gut and to have regular stools and the lack of those symptoms is really important for overall quality of life. Um, So many people come to me and they're always concerned about eating out or socialising or they always need to know where the nearest bathroom is, which sounds funny, but it's the reality for so many people and it can be really debilitating. So getting on top of those things is just important for overall mental health and quality of life. But 
Um, it's also quite involved in our mood, and I know we'll talk a little bit more later about its relation to mental health as well, but um, they're really, really strongly linked, our gut health and mental health. And it can also be involved in a lot of other um, parts of the body, like our immune function, our development of chronic diseases and things. So there's lots of exciting research being done and coming out in that area to say that gut health is pretty central to a lot of things um, that make up our overall health. So yeah, it is really important to be mindful of our gut and if something feels off to, to get things checked and get things looked at by a GP mm. because it could be so many different things and you don't have to live um, with an uncomfortable gut every day because it may be common, but it's definitely not normal. Yeah. And I know like there's that saying a lot of the time, what is it? Something like your gut is like your second brain or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so, so important. Yeah. And I know right. for me, like uh, when I had my parasite all those years ago as well, mm. and then I was on round of antibiotics after antibiotics, like my gut health was at a place where I didn't even realize how bad it was at the time. But like, you know, all the symptoms that you're talking about, like even just thinking about where the closest bathroom is because you're just not sure and the bloating after mm. meals and I got to a point where I was like oh maybe this is just how my body like you know digests food or maybe but like yeah. if it's painful and it gets to the point where like I physically couldn't do my pants up anymore because like the bloating mm. had got so bad it's like okay you know it's not just bloating from the volume of food that I'm, I've eaten yeah. it's actually There's like I need to, exactly right and I guess it the other thing that I found is it's not a quick journey to go on like it takes a long time to heal your gut and to start to build that good bacteria back up and I think that was probably one of the hardest parts that I struggled with was that it was constant and it was a really really long time and obviously that's with all health journeys as well like nothing if you want to go on something that's sustainable and actually going to be beneficial for you for the rest of your life like it has to be something that is probably going to take time because you're building up um, whether it's good habits or good gut health and all of that. Is that something that yeah. you also find with your clients? Like the journey is quite a long process. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's yeah. really easy for people to want to go down the route of like a quick fix with a supplement or mm. um, you know, cutting dairy, cutting gluten, doing something cold turkey and just getting instant results because, you know, I understand the symptoms can be really debilitating and obviously you want answers and you want them quickly. But a lot of those things are not going to get to the root cause of your digestive issues. And if you work with a professional, they can take you down a process. And that may be a few months at a time, but it's really important to identify what your main issues are and not, you know, try all these quick fixes and potentially make things worse or just, you know, elongate the process by doing that anyway. Yeah. So you're better off just doing it once and doing it right, mm -hmm. even if it is a long time um, to get to it. 100%. Yeah, love that. Doing it once and doing it right. That is so true. And I think for me as well, one of the other things I found is my moods were up and down and I was exhausted all the time. Like my energy levels were sporadic as well. And I know like you also talk a lot about the connection between your gut health and your mindset as well. And it can play quite a large role, can't it? Mm, it's they're really really connected and it can have a massive impact your like stress levels anxiety general mental health can have a huge impact on your gut and vice versa as well so um the gut and the brain are connected through something called the gut brain axis mm -hmm. and it pretty much refers to the vagus nerve which is a really strong uh, really strong and long nerve that goes between the brain and the gut and pretty much it's a two-way communication street and when there's stress and anxiety and um you know, poor mental health going on up here that can influence your gut symptoms and then uncomfortable gut symptoms, obviously, you know, they're not very fun. They can leave you feeling anxious and stressed if you can't work out why they're happening or 
if you're really, um, yeah, confused and uncomfortable with everything going on. So it really just is a bi-directional system. Um, and a lot of people can ex- understand the way that works through like that sensation of butterflies in your stomach. Mm. And that's what a lot of people talk about. Um, yeah. Like if you're preparing for a, a speech or a test or something really stressful, that often your, um, you know, your gut is a little bit compromised. So you might be going to the bathroom a few times with quite um, loose tools or diarrhea yeah. or, you know, get a little bit uncomfortable and a bit spasmy and crampy in the gut. So they are really, really connected. And it's important that when you do have gut issues, you don't look automatically to food and blame food yeah. because your stress and your headspace can have, you know, equally as much of an impact on your gut symptoms. Mm, yeah, 100%. And like when I was going through my journey as well, I remember the days that I was like super stressed or super anxious about something were the days where I had pretty bad flare-ups of like really mm. bad bloating or, you know, maybe I was going to the bathroom quite often as well. And you're exactly right. Like I think with everything that is out there on social media and all of that, it's so easy for us to automatically be like, oh, well, I ate, you know, gluten today. So that must mean that yeah. gluten is causing this up. So I'm going to cut yeah. that out of my diet. And then you have another day where you're anxious or stressed. and like, oh, well, I ate garlic and onion today. So yeah. you know, I'll cut that out. But you're right. Like, and I think sometimes we just, with everything these days, it's so easy to focus on the food and the exercise of things. And we forget mm. about, you know, whether it's the gut or the mind and the connection that that can also have um, on our health. So it's so interesting and it's so incredible. And, you know, I think you're doing an incredible job, but I guess implementing that into um, other people's lives and educating them around that, that can also have a play in their gut health. And mm. So I guess, um, you know, if somebody was wanting to look at improving their gut health, obviously everybody is so incredibly different and they have different gut health for different reasons. But, you know, I guess, well, what even is a path? Like how does somebody even start trying to look at improving their gut health? Where do they begin? What path should they go down? Mm, Yeah. So usually if you do experience gut health issues, and it's typically those sort of symptoms that I referred to earlier, like the pain or bloating or alternating bowel habits, the best place to start is just with your doctor, your GP um, that you go to or, you know, a new one if you don't have a regular one. But they're the best place to start because what they can do is run various tests, so blood tests, um, stool samples if they need to. They can refer to a gastro, uh, refer you to a gastroenterologist if they need to um, just to see what could be going on. So for a lot of people, they might think, oh, I've got a little bit of IBS. Um, but it's really important that if you do think you have that to actually get a diagnosis because it can have really similar symptoms to other conditions that might be a little bit more serious or that need a different sort of treatment pathway. So, you know, a really common one is celiac disease. Mm-hmm. And people with celiac disease have really similar symptoms to people with IBS um, in response to eating gluten. And if you have already cut out gluten from your diet, um, in, you know, in attempt to make your gut symptoms better, um, and you haven't been tested for celiac disease, that's a really important place to start. So they can do blood tests to check for celiac disease, and it's really important that you are eating your normal diet at that time as well. So um, eating gluten is really important for an accurate result when you do those tests. So um, when you do go to the GP, making sure you don't make any changes before that is a good place to start. Um, but, yeah, they can test for celiac disease. They can screen for things like bowel cancers, inflammatory mm. bowel disease, other conditions. So they can run all those tests to make sure it's nothing more serious and that mm-hmm. if it is just a, a functional issue like um, irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, then they can refer you to a dietitian who can give you some more um, personalised advice and support. 
because yeah, it can be really hard to navigate it on your own, but um, mm-hmm. you definitely need the support of health professionals to make sure you're going down the right path and actually identifying the real issues that are underlying the symptoms. Yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. And I think so important what you said, you know, going in and ruling out everything else before you start on this journey. Because, like we spoke about, like it is a long journey and one that can be quite difficult and confusing, especially if you're trying to do it on your own. Um, which is why it's important to seek help from a health professional. But also, it's important that you don't start on this journey to then later find out that you know if you hadn't gone and ruled out all of those other things it wasn't necessarily one of those so I know there's probably Mm. a lot of different reasons as to what causes you know a difference in people's gut health as well and somebody who doesn't have the best gut health I guess is there a common cause that you see for people that don't have great gut health or is it just really really you know diverse in what what can actually cause to have bad gut health yeah, it's definitely probably not the most um, straightforward answer. It is very diverse. <laughs> it can be so many different things. Mm-hmm. And for just people in the general population who, you know, have conditions ruled out and there isn't necessarily a diagnosis, yeah. it can be, um, you know, as simple as causes of like not eating enough fibre, yeah. not drinking enough water, not having enough variety in your diet. So we know that, you know, the more variety in your diet, the better through things like plant-based foods and, you know, fruits, veggies, legumes, whole grains, nuts, seeds, all those sorts of things. Um, I think there's an interesting study that's going around and that people talk about, about aiming for 30 different plant-based foods a week for Mm. enough variety. So the more variety in your diet, the more variety in your gut bacteria and microbes that live in your um, intestines. So dietary variety is a really, really important thing. Um, But if addressing those basic things, through food don't seem to be enough there certainly can be some other triggers or causes that contribute to gut symptoms and a really big one that I see in clinic and help people through is um, FODMAP which is quite a mouthful um, and a lot for some people to wrap their head around but um, yeah FODMAPs are pretty much a group of poorly digested carbohydrates or sugars that are found in a range of foods things like garlic, onion, um, apples, mangoes, honey, wheat products, so bread, pasta, those sorts of things. Um, they're found in a really wide variety of foods and really healthy foods as well. So mm. sort of be a bit confusing if you like, you know, you're eating really healthy or quote unquote eating clean and yeah. getting a lot of symptoms that um, this could be contributing. And um, yeah, it's really important that if you think you are reacting to those sorts of foods to see an accredited practicing dietitian who does practice in that area and have experience in that area because they can help you identify your own individual um, triggers and you know, make a long-term plan that helps to manage your symptoms a bit better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know FODMAP is a specific you know, diet that is monitored quite closely with a health professional, which is so important because you do cut out a lot of food and then reintroduce them. But um, before I touch on that, like I want to go back to the mm-hmm. 30 different plant-based foods, which is incredible. And I know when I've mentioned this to people before, they go, Oh my God, that is so much fruit. Like I can't eat 30 different <laughs> plant-based foods in a week. Like you're crazy. So I guess yeah. like, do you have any tips on how people like can fit those 30 different plant-based foods into their, um, into their week in any different fun ways? Yeah, definitely. I think the easiest thing would be to just take foods that you ordinarily would have and then find a more like diverse alternative, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if you have like rice or something, you can swap white, like plain white rice or plain brown rice for a combination that has wild rice, red rice, 
quinoa, mm. um, all those things in the same mix. Or like even if you just like to have lettuce or spinach, swap into the mixed leaves mix. Or yeah. um, if you like to flavor your food with spices, instead of just having Italian herbs, add paprika and parsley and all the different types of herbs. So just increasing the variety in what you do already have yeah. rather than just like cutting out and bringing in new things that you ordinarily wouldn't eat. It's probably the easiest way. Yeah, that's such a good idea. I love that. And I think as well, you know, I remember um, one, like, and I say this to my clients as well, is one easy thing to do as well, because we live in a world where we are so privileged with, we can buy fruit and veg all year round now. Like it's not, we don't really shop in season anymore. So you know what Mm. fruit and vegetables you love. And typically you just continue to buy them all year, which is, you know, fun. We're creatures of habits, but one little trip could be even when you head into the supermarket to pick each week one different fruit and veg that you don't normally buy pick it up you know research a recipe with it try it out because even that like you're adding something different into your diet which again you know exactly like you said it just helps to build that diversity 100 percent, yeah and it can be a lot for some people who are like those creatures of habits like you talked about to consider trying something different and a lot of people have a lot of preferences or a bit fussy with different foods but even if you do just try one new food a week whether that's Mm. you know a kiwi fruit when you usually have apple Mm. every day um something as full as that can be a huge game changer so the more variety in any way even if it is something small like that absolutely helps yeah Amazing. I'm sure like a lot of people will be heading off to the shops this week to yeah. pick up something completely different. I probably should even do that as well. So yeah. back to FODMAP. Now FODMAP mm. and IBS. This is an area and I get quite a few clients who have maybe tried it on their own or the doctor has maybe told them to go on a FODMAP diet without the guidance of a health professional, which can mm. be quite challenging for a lot of people, because like we spoke about just before, the FODMAP diet is one that it does need to be closely monitored and because it can be quite restrictive before you reintroduce foods back in. Um, So I guess, you know, do you want to explain to us, well, A, first off, you know, what is IBS and what is the FODMAP diet? Yeah, absolutely. So IBS is irritable bowel syndrome and it pretty much relates to um, those common symptoms that I've been speaking about. So bloating, pain, alternating bowel habits, wind, those sort of things are really common with IBS. Um, And it's a a disorder of the gut-brain interaction. So that gut-brain axis, the vagus nerve we were talking about earlier, it's pretty much dysfunction in how that axis and how that nerve works. Um, And it's more of a functional condition as well. So rather than there being anything structurally wrong with the bowels um, that you can actually see through, um, you know, a colonoscopy or you can see on blood tests, there's nothing like physically wrong. It's just that it's not functioning as optimally as it could be. So Mm. it's a really, really common condition. And um, yeah, the low FODMAP diet is evidence to help with up to 80% of people with IBS. So it's a really common um, treatment tool or management tool to help. But it's not for everyone. Not everyone is um, has FODMAPs as a major trigger. We spoke about things like stress. That can be a huge thing for a lot of people. Um, but there can be, yeah, a range of different factors that, that impact symptoms. But certainly going through a health professional and getting their support can help you to identify what your personal um, triggers are. Mm, yeah. And I think as well, one thing that I hear from some people with the FODMAP diet is they've been told to go on it by the doctor but they haven't really been given any guidelines around it so for them they've kind of taken this as this is their new lifestyle now like they have to Mm. eat i guess all fodmap 
forever. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, well, that makes my blood boil. Yeah, so many people will like go to the GP and I'll get a piece of paper or a handout and the low format diet is so much more than that. Um, and it is really disheartening because a lot of people do get given that advice and they don't know how to come off the diet or when it should end. And it does become something that people are often on for months or years. And um, the first phase of the diet, so there are three phases, that first phase is pretty much only meant to be followed for four to six weeks at a time. Um, yeah. That's pretty much only one time. So it's not something that should be long term. So within these three phases, the first phase is the elimination phase. And that's where we swap a lot of high-fat, high-fodmap foods like garlic and onion and apples and things for low-fodmap alternatives just for that short-term period to see if your symptoms do improve. And then the second phase is challenging these foods again. So we reintroduce them in a really structured way um, to see what your personal triggers are and what point you can tolerate them at. So often we don't um, necessarily react to all high-fodmap foods and usually people will maybe just have two or three major triggers. So the challenge process is really important because when we understand your main triggers, we can reintroduce all those other foods back in that you don't react to so that we can give you more variety, which we spoke about being so important. Um, and because it is a restrictive diet, we don't want it to be followed long-term. It can um, you know, negatively impact your gut health and your quality of life and you know, your ability to socialise and eat out with friends and things. So it's really important that you find your individual tolerance levels. Um, and then the third phase is the personalization or maintenance phase. And that's sort of the long-term phase of the diet that is followed for essentially most of your life. And that's just um, having a health professional help you identify your main triggers, limiting them, otherwise reintroducing all your other um, well-tolerated foods back in to help you minimize your symptoms, but maximize your quality of life um, for the rest of your life. And even if you find that your main triggers are things like garlic and onion, it doesn't mean that they'll be that way forever. So yeah. it's important to be linked in with a health professional that can help you to re-challenge these foods in a number of months or years and um, you know help you manage your symptoms down the track because it won't be that way forever. So yeah, it's really important if you do find you've got um, a lot of major triggers of foods that you used to love, that it um, mm. yeah, isn't necessarily lifelong, which is good to know. Yeah, I think so many people will be listening to this being like, oh my goodness, thank goodness, because it, it can be like quite overwhelming, I guess, when you're told, okay, you have to cut this out. Onion and garlic, for an example, massive one that's in a lot of food eating out, especially. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for them to know that maybe it's not a thing that they have to avoid forever would be quite game-changing as well. And, you know, what you said, everyone has different threshold levels as well. So it is so important to work with a health professional to work out what your threshold level is, like exactly what you said, so you can um, still live life, socialise and all of that without too much worry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think um, a really important thing with the low FODMAP diet is that a lot of people hear it and they think, oh, I've mentioned um, dairy products or I've mentioned wheat bread and wheat pasta and, oh, it must be lactose-free and dairy-free. And that's something that a lot of people often do and they just cut out full food groups. Mm. Um, and while the low format diet or the first phase of it can be quite restrictive, it's, it's not about cutting out any complete food groups. There's always something in these groups that you can eat that's low FODMAP or a low FODMAP saving size that is generally well tolerated. So, yeah, it's important that you don't go cutting out entire food groups thinking that that is the answer um, rather yeah. than, you know, just going lactose-free rather than dairy-free, for example. Yeah, 
Of course. And I think, again, like it comes back to this world that we live in. I think it's really easy for us to jump to conclusions or maybe we think it's healthier for us to cut out a specific mm. food group, which can actually have the complete opposite effect on our health. Um, do you find that often, you know, if people come to you, they have tried to cut out these major food groups? And I guess what impact can that have? Because it, I think personally from experience, I've seen impacts both mentally and physically by cutting out major food groups. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the main thing is that if you do cut out a food group, like every food group has a purpose and yep. provides a lot of different nutrients. So if you've, for example, gone um, dairy-free, you're cutting out a lot of calcium, which is in mm. most dairy products. So if you've cut all of those out completely and you're not substituting with appropriate alternatives that can give you those same nutrients, um, then that is a risk. And, you know, you're at risk of putting your... Um, your bone health at risk and getting osteoporosis and those sorts of things. So, yeah, there certainly are risks to just cold turkey cutting these things out without enough support to, um, you know, balance out your diet. But, yeah, it can also just be a risk in terms of your own mental health and being so stressed around food and um, over-restricting is not healthy for anyone's physical or mental health overall. So it is important just to, yeah, avoid that as much as you can. Um, we may need to go down the route of a restrictive diet, but not necessarily cutting out all these things that you love and, you know, major food groups that are important for our health. So don't do it alone is the main takeaway yeah. from everything yeah. I think, right? <laughs> no, no, 100% agree. And talking about food groups as well, and I know you mentioned, you know, celiac disease a little bit earlier. Mm. Gluten-free. This is one thing that pops up quite a lot. And I think people self-diagnose themselves as being gluten-free. Obviously, mm. there is a place, and if you do suffer from celiac disease, you know, it's important, and there's products out there for you, which is incredible, and the range of products, if you do um, have celiac disease, is incredible now, and it's just getting more and more, which is amazing. But mm. if you do not have celiac disease, um, is it beneficial to go gluten-free? Yeah, great question, and a really, really popular one as well. Mm. So. When it comes to being gluten-free, yeah, like you said, it's so, so important for celiac disease and a non-negotiable yeah. that you do need to eat gluten-free. But um, for other people, it's not necessarily an evidence-based thing to do or the correct thing to do. So a lot mm -hmm. of the time um, when people focus on gluten, they are removing gluten, which is also removing some of the FODMAPs by chance. So yeah. gluten is the protein found in wheat, rye and barley. And in those same foods is a particular category of FODMAP called fructans. And often when you reduce a lot of gluten-containing products, you are reducing these at the same time and you may find that you have symptom relief and that you're better off being gluten-free. Um, but it may be because you've reduced the fructans and the overall FODMAP rather than gluten itself. So it's certainly not something we, we do recommend. And I often encourage people to try um, alternative products that do contain gluten but are low in FODMAPs or fructans and they, a lot of them can tolerate them really well. Mm. So... Yeah, it's important right. that you don't cut out gluten if you don't need to because, yeah, gluten intolerance is um, not really a thing. There can be non-celiac gluten sensitivity and that, you yeah. know, that certainly can have its place as well. But most commonly, um, it's not gluten that's the issue. So I definitely would encourage um, people who don't have celiac disease to, to not go down that route if they don't have to. For sure. And I think one thing that I hear quite often, and I know if you Google inflammatory foods, for some reason, you know, on the... The health, which aren't real, I'm doing this in quotation marks because they're not <laughs> real health websites, have said that gluten is an inflammatory food, which I believe is where mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, okay, well, I want to, you know, be 
anti-inflammatory. I want to reduce bloating or whatever they're, they're um, I guess they're trying to do. Mm. So they cut out gluten. But is gluten actually inflammatory in the body if you do not have a sensitivity and if you do not have celiac disease? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. No. So, yeah, gluten and dairy as well, that's a common one that people say is inflammatory. Yeah. Both those things, unless you have a diagnosis or you have an allergy to wheat or dairy itself, there is no inflammatory response in your body at all. So for the everyday person, um, without these allergies, and they provide so many wonderful nutrients like calcium and fiber and protein and things like that so we don't want to cut them out um, without rhyme or reason so no there's certainly um no inflammation that needs to be worried about which is always good to know good glad we've busted that myth now you can (laughs) if anyone is listening and you are not intolerant to dairy you do not have celiac disease or you're not sensitive to gluten you can go and eat it and you can enjoy it exactly go and eat that bread (laughs) exactly yeah love it now i did actually have a question that somebody asked and it was in relation to gut health and acne in particular Does Mm. gut health have an impact on someone? And obviously, it obviously depends on their lifestyle and their food choices and all of that, but can gut health impact um, acne? Yeah, that is a really good question. There's no definite evidence in the research Mm. right now that suggests Mm. that it does or that anything particularly that we eat impacts our acne. A lot of people do find that, um, you know, reducing dairy or reducing gluten, those common um, trigger foods, does seem to help or anecdotally may help them but yeah generally at the moment we don't say that addressing your gut health will automatically improve um, your acne because like you said there are so many factors and there's Mm -hmm. so many complex processes that go into acne and you know skin health overall hydration sleep everything like that so there's yeah a lot more to it than gut health I'd say for now um, probably not but maybe stay tuned because there's always always exciting research coming out yeah for sure and I I think it's Great how you answer that because if you go on, let's take TikTok for an example, and somebody (laughs) pops up, you know, claiming how they have healed their gut and now their skin is so amazing, you know, their stomach is now magically flat or it's not bloated, you know, like, and they start listing all these things. And so a lot of people are like, oh, okay, well, I have, you know, acne on my skin. So if I go and heal my gut and if I take the same approach that you've taken, whatever that might be, um, the same thing will happen which and i guess you know we just keep coming back to with your gut health if you have any other symptoms that you noted ibs like whatever it is it's so important to go and seek a health professional because mm. you're like you are so individual and what worked for that person might not not necessarily work for you and maybe their skin did clear up once they healed their gut health but for you your you know acne might be linked to something completely different so i think you know what you said it just it makes so much sense yeah, 100%. And even like your podcast um, last week about weight loss, like knowing what worked for Karen at work or your neighbour next door, like everyone is just so individual mm-hmm. and your hormones are not the same as theirs. Your eating patterns and lifestyle is not the same as theirs. So it's really hard. Like I know it's um, enticing to go, okay, this person did this thing that worked for them, so I'll try it too. If you're really desperate and you want answers mm-hmm. and you want to find something that does work, but everyone is so individual and complex and it's, yeah, a bit of a trap on places like TikTok where people see these miracle results um, and just think, I'll try that, it will work for me. So, yeah, always important to get individualised advice um, to help you manage your own symptoms and, yeah, everything like that. 
Yeah, for sure. And I remember all those years ago when I was on my health journey, one thing that kind of helped me was just to envision, like, if you were able to, I know it sounds a little bit gross now that I think about it, but like, you know, if you were able to like open up your stomach or something like that and actually see all of like the mechanics and everything that goes on behind the scenes, like it is so much more complicated than what we think or what a simple quick thing from TikTok or, you know, the first Google search or something. It's so much more than that. And our mechanics work so differently to everyone else's. So it's so important to take that into consideration. And I think sometimes almost just take it that step back as well and be like, okay, well, my body is working hard. Like, you know, I do owe it and need to respect it in a way that I do go and get that help and I get the best approach for my own individual body. Yes, yes, 100%. And not falling victim to like blanket approaches as Mm. well. Um, Like as much as following someone else's advice may not work for you, following just like overall health advice in general is not always great. So, you know, someone may say um, this supplement's really good for gut health or you should take a probiotic as a general broad statement. But a lot of those things can be really damaging because one, you generally waste a lot of money on supplements and things like that. But also with probiotics, especially what we know is that if you have a particular symptom that needs fixing, you need a particular strain that has evidence to help with that. So, you know, taking it everyday plus or whatever they're called, the general over-day, um, over-the-counter probiotics, a lot of them won't do too much to help. So, yeah, those sweeping broad statements um, are generally also a bit harmful sometimes as well. So just keep an eye out of those, of those sorts of things too. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, if you haven't gone tested and been given products individualised that are going to help you specifically, you know, maybe it is a way to save money to go and get tested and then actually get products that are, you know are beneficial and going to support you and get you to that end health goal that you have. Yes, exactly. A $80 doctor appointment is so much more worthwhile than 800 bucks of supplements that you try yeah. um, over a couple of months. So, yeah, worthwhile um, saving your penny. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, so good. Did you have any other tips or, you know, anything else around gut health, IBS, FODMAP that you think is beneficial somebody might, you know, be able to take away from this podcast? Yeah, definitely. I think the main thing would be just to nail the basics first. So a lot of people, I've sort of touched on it throughout this, but a yep. lot of people will think, let's do that supplement or let's try this particular um, type of food to, you know, give me a miracle cure. A lot of the time, if you're not, you know, eating regular meals, eating slowly and chewing well when you have your meals, if you're um, not drinking enough water, if you're not getting, you know, the basics of true fruits and five veg a day, don't Mm. worry about that sort of stuff. There's no need to find a miracle supplement if you're not getting eight hours of sleep and having your veggies at dinner. So it's really important that you actually just strip it back to basics because often if we address and, um, you know, understand your underlying basic everyday habits, we can pinpoint ways that might be contributing to your symptoms or, um, you know, making you feel a little bit more uncomfortable. So there's so much we can do before even looking at removing foods or trying different um, medications and things like that. Even if you just slow down, stop talking while you're reading or stop mm. chewing really quickly, a lot of your symptoms can reduce. So, yeah, just be really mindful of addressing the basics and making sure that at a base level you're doing as much as you can to support your overall health and you'll be in a much better position. Yeah, for sure. And I guess one of, like we've spoken so much about food as well, which is incredible, exercise. Does that come into play at all when it does come to gut health? 
certainly can, yeah. So a lot of really gentle exercises like, you know, gentle walking, yoga, um, not so much um, exercise, but uh, meditation, those sort of mm. things, they can really help in, in like a soothing way. They can calm down your gut muscles and um, calm down your brain, which of course, you know, will consequently mm-hmm. calm down your gut a little bit as well. And more high intensity things um, like running or high intensity interval training, those sort of things can have a negative impact in a way. There isn't a lot of like really clear research in that area, mm-hmm. but um, potentially if you're doing a really high intensity workout, then the gut um, is not getting all the blood and the attention that it usually would be getting. It's going to be diverted to your muscles and your arms and your legs to do these movements. So you may feel like you do have a bit of gut discomfort or, you know, runners may often get um, what's called a runner's gut where you might be needing to find the toilet as soon as you start your long distance run. So, um, yeah, certainly addressing the type of exercise you're doing can help as well if you are doing a lot of the really intense type of exercises. Um, if yeah. you're finding that that flares up your symptoms a bit, maybe trying um, some more gentle forms of movement and doing general stretches and things like that instead because it can have a really soothing effect. Yeah, love it. I guess it is. It's so much about lifestyle as a whole. You know, you've got your nutrition, you've got your exercise and you've got your mindset as well and making sure you're addressing all of those is so important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so multifaceted. There's never mm. one thing um that fixes it or directly causes it there's always so many factors at play so yeah interesting it is so interesting now i have some quick fire questions that i like to go through with all of my podcast guests are you ready yes go all right (laughs) what is one thing you must do every morning to set your day up to set my day up i think um it sounds really cliche but i'd probably say to eat breakfast um there was a time in my like early on in my career when I was really really nervous and anxious every day about like consulting you know that like classic imposter syndrome yeah see that too hard I can't do this um and that would just like shoot my appetite down so a lot of the time I wasn't eating before I started my work day um of course that didn't give me the right fuel that I needed to actually help these clients and think clearly throughout these consultations and then you know I'd be ravenously hungry by the time it got to lunchtime as well so I've now realized looking back um, that breakfast is really really important so yeah they don't lie when they say breakfast is the most important meal of the day it certainly can set you up and helps to set me up that's for sure love it that's so good what is one thing everyone can do every day to improve their life this is a good one. I do think about this a little bit. Um, and I think it is just to slow down and to make time mm. for yourself. Yeah. I think a lot of us just live such a busy, like, hustle culture way of life. And it's so easy to just work, you know, go to a gym, come home, make dinner, sleep, repeat. Like, it just feels like you're mm-hmm. going through a churner and doing the same thing day in and day out. And I had a bit of an epiphany um, recently. I saw a quote on Instagram. I don't know who said it, so I can't unfortunately give them credit for it. But um, it said, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. Mm. And that was just like a mic drop moment for me because I was just like getting through each workday, coming home, doing my doctor's letters or, you know, sending notes to patients and rinse and repeat Monday to Friday. And I would just be living for the weekend waiting for a time where I can just like finally stop relax spend time with my boyfriend see friends things like that yeah. so it just really made me realize I need to make time for those things within my day and uh-huh. you know just go for a walk or have a bath or read a book which sound really basic and it's probably bad that I don't do them on a regular basis but those things 
like incorporating them in your day-to-day life make your life so much better and yeah you won't find yourself living for the weekend waiting for that time to do things that you love for sure and I think so many people would be able to resonate with that because we do we get swept up in the motions of going through each and every day and working and and thinking we always have to be doing more and working more or we have to be living this really busy lifestyle so I think that's so Mm -hmm. incredibly powerful yeah just stop slow down think about what do you actually want out of your life like you're living this life for you this is your one shot at it there's no coming back and doing round two so you have to you have to live it in a way that you love and I love what you said you know you were living for the weekends but that's such a small part of the week like it's two days out of the whole (laughs) week like really you want to find some sort of joy in each and every day that you do have 100% and I think it's important as well for people like you and I that like we help other people for a living and a lot of people do as their job if you're pouring from an empty cup if you don't take care of yourself you cannot take care of others and we can't serve our clients and help people if we're not looking after ourselves first so it's just a really good reminder that if you want to be able to help people that you have to you know take a leaf out of your own book um, and do the same for yourself yeah Exactly. So I guess, well, my next fire question was, what is your favourite quote and why? Would you say that is your favourite quote or do you have another quote that you love? I think it would probably be that one. Yeah. yeah. I think it's when I saw it, it was about a week or two ago and it just has stayed with me ever since. I made it my phone background. Like it really, oh, really resonated it. with me. Yeah. So I think it would definitely be that one. It's, um, yeah, very hard hitting. Yeah, and I think that's great that you made it your phone background because we need that physical reminder as humans. It's so great, you know, we think something in the moment, but then an event happens, a life event, or we get caught up and stressed at work. And sometimes we need that physical reminder for us to take that step back again and be like, you know, you know what, like, love what I do, but I also love all these other things in life as well. And just just to remind ourselves sometimes. So that's amazing. 100%. Yeah, I love it. Now, one other question that I love to ask all of my podcast guests is in the distant future, when you are looking back at your life, what do you think will be your biggest achievement or one thing that you will be most proud of? Now, this could be something that you have already done, or this could be something that you are hoping to do in the future. Mm, I love this one. Um, it's really hard to answer as well. Like, I'm really proud of everything I've done so far in my life and my career and everything, but. I think if I have to look back on one thing, it's probably not something I've done yet because I do have quite big mm-hmm. career goals. I think ideally in the future I'll have my own um, private practice and probably doing it virtually like you do as well. Um, and, yeah, I think probably focusing on on gut health and being a really safe space yeah. for people to come to for that um, personalised expertise, advice. So I think, yeah, it will be running my own clinic and working for myself, having my own hours, having a really good work-life balance, that sort of thing. So maybe in the next five to ten years that'll happen. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch the whole journey of it. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Big dreams. I love it. Yes, they are big. They're very big. It might take some time, but I'm, yeah, very excited for what the future will be. Yeah, exactly. No, I love that. That's amazing. So, Amy, tell the audience, do you have anything exciting coming up that you can share or also where can the listeners find you as well? Yes, of course. Um, I don't have too much in the works at the moment, but, yeah, stay tuned in the next decade or so. That may change. Um, but I think in terms of finding me, so I'm on Instagram at um, amylilly with 2 Um 
that's probably the best place to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also practice at a place called FODMAP Dietetics in Ringwood. So Amazing. if you're local to that area in Melbourne, in the eastern yeah. suburbs, um, you can see me there for any gut health support or we also do virtual consultations like on Zoom. So can help anyone um, anywhere around the world if you're wanting some more advice or if you've resonated with anything that we've talked about today. Exactly. And I know on your Instagram, you've done a little bit of rebranding quite recently, which is exciting. Yeah. So yes. I'm excited to see what, you know, you start to put out because you already like you have before and you still do. You put out such incredible content, educational, like you clear up so many myths around gut health and celiac disease and all of that that's out there. You share incredible recipes as well. So super exciting oh, to you. see what comes onto that as well. Yeah, I um I'm not too regular on there, so it's something I do have to <laughs> improve on. But yeah, I do hope to be a, a place where people can come for that sort of myth busting and good recipes and advice and things like that. So yeah, if you if you want to see more of it and, and hear more about what I do, then definitely head over there. Incredible. Well, I'm sure so many people will be able to walk away from today with a little bit more clarity around gut health, the FODMAP diet, IBS all of the above, which is incredible. I think we've really gone through and we've busted quite some common myths today, which is amazing. So if you did like this podcast or you want to ask either Amy or myself any questions from it, then just head over to our Instagrams and shoot us through a DM. But thank you, Amy, so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so good. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Naked Wellness. I would love to hear from you. If it's something that you learned today or if you have any questions at all, then just head over to my Instagram. It is KJ Wellness with three S's. I would absolutely love to hear from you. And if you could, please leave me a review. That would be absolutely amazing. I would love to know what you think about this podcast. If you have any questions or any guests in particular that you would like to hear from, just let me know. But I will speak to you very soon in the next episode. I hope you enjoy the rest of the day or the night, wherever you are.